We'd like to welcome Father Anthony Wick from the Society of Jesus here to say Norbert. Father Wick grew up on a farm in Oregon, the sixth of nine children. Father Anthony's grandfather and father regularly came to the White House for an annual silent retreat. So he had a, some sort of connection with St. Louis at that time. After studying with the Jesuits in the Bay Area and in Rome, under the watchful eye of then Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, Father Anthony found his own Jesuit vocation and entered the New Orleans province at that time. He worked at Spring Hill College, as well as three different Jesuit high schools in Texas, before being missioned to St. Louis in July of 2017. He is now assigned at the White House Retreat Center and also works with the seminarians at Kendrick Lennon Seminary and is the spiritual director for over 60, I'm sorry, 26 men there. <laughs> Let's welcome Father Wick to St. Norbert. Following up on Father Monsignor Midas's uh, fine talk, I'm called to bring out the dynamic dimensions of the Eucharist. I would like to start with a quote from Padre Pio, whom he mentioned. It would be easier for the world to survive without the sun than to do without the Holy Mass. St. Maximilian Kolbe, if angels could be jealous of men, they would be so for one reason, Holy Communion. St. Thomas Aquinas, the proper effect of the Eucharist is the transformation of man into God. As you know, the title of my talk is being drawn into the Eucharist, recreated in Christ, drawn into the Eucharist. We often don't think of ourselves being drawn into the Eucharist. We think of ourselves as taking communion, the Eucharist coming into us, but it's actually backwards. St. Thomas Aquinas tells us that material food, like the lunch we had today, is drawn into us and it restores our vital energies. It becomes one with us. Good lasagna hmm? strengthens us, restores our vital energies. But in spiritual food, it's the opposite. We are drawn into it. In spiritual food, we are drawn into Jesus. Quote from Aquinas, material food, first of all, turns itself into the person who eats it and, as a consequence, restores his losses and increases his vital energies. Spiritual food, on the other hand, turns the person who eats it into, into itself. And thus, the proper effect of the sacrament is the conversion of man into Christ, so that he may no longer live for himself, but that Christ may live in him. So when you receive Holy Communion, you're actually being drawn into Jesus. You're actually being drawn into the heart of God because he loves you that much and that intimately. And he can't get enough of you. You know how we say with little kids, like, I could just eat you up, right? You're so darn cute, those little soft cheeks. I could just nibble them, huh? You, you just, the kids are so cute, you just want that cuteness, that beauty, that tenderness in yourself. It's a beautiful way. You wouldn't hurt the child, of course. But like, I could eat you up, meaning, ah, oh, you're so wonderful and cute and everything, precious. 
I can bring you into myself. Well, that's pretty much what God sees when he sees us. Is he's basically saying, I could just eat you up. So would you receive my communion so that I can eat you up? Would you allow yourself to be drawn into me? Drawn into the Eucharist. I'd like to change your paradigm there of what you're doing when you're receiving Holy Eucharist. When you're drawn into the Eucharist, you're drawn into his heart. And just look at that based on the natural level, and you'll understand it more on the spiritual level. The heart does what? It takes blood through the veins, blood with carbon dioxide, with other wastes, and it pumps it through the lungs, and it reoxygenates the blood, and it fills it with nutrients, and then sends it out through the circulatory system. Here's a definition. What is the function of the human heart? Online, according to live science. The human heart is an organ that pumps blood through the, throughout the body via the circulatory system, supplying oxygen and nutrients to the tissues, and removing carbon dioxide and other wastes. And that's what's happening in Holy Communion. I'm allowing myself to be drawn into the heart of Christ. Allowing myself to be drawn into the heart of Christ to be re-oxygenated, to be re-nutriented, and to be sent out to spread that good news to others and draw them into the Eucharist because the world is desperate and thirsting and dying for the Eucharist. And you, my brothers and sisters, you lay people are the primary evangelizers in the church, not the priests. You are the primary evangelizers. And people are dying out there for thirst of God. We need to draw them also into the Eucharist. That's our mission. Draw them into that intimacy with Christ that Christ desires so much for them. Help cajole them into saying yes to being with Christ, to becoming one with Christ. Monsignor Midas mentioned the miracle of Lanciano, Italy, on the Adriatic coast. I'll be taking a pilgrimage group in June there, and also Loreto and Rome and all these places. And San Giovanni Rotondo, where Padre Pio was, we'll spend two nights there. If you want to come, we'll take 30 people and look at the White House retreat website. It's on there. In that Lanciano miracle, the outer edge, the very outer edge of the host remains bread, actually. And everything else is cardiac flesh. The thin, thin center is cardiac flesh. So that's part of the miracle. It's absolutely perfectly attached, which is scientific, scientifically impossible. You don't join bread and flesh and get them to inter, inter, uh, interlock, interweave. The heart is always the left ventricle of the heart flesh, Buenos Aires. Anciano and other Eucharistic miracles. And this is going back 1,300 years. And the flesh and the coagulated blood still exist today. I propose a new way of looking at miracles, too. I would say the greater miracle is what happens here more than Lanciano, which I can't wait to see again, Lanciano. <laughs> 
or Buenos Aires. I haven't seen that one yet, but don't know if I'll ever be able to see that. But I propose what happens on the altar is even greater. Why? Because in God, when God creates the essence of a thing, what a thing is in its core corresponds to its exteriors, its accidents. Okay? So in what we call a miracle, it's actually the normal way of thinking. When God changes something into his body, it looks like his body, like flesh. It's red and raw flesh. And when this is my blood, it looks and tastes and feels and smells like blood. But thankfully, every time you and I come to Mass, that doesn't happen. The Lord keeps the exteriors the same, what we call the accidents, and changes the interiors, the essence. That is a real blessing, and that's a miracle. Everything else, the exteriors and the interiors, match in God's creation. A tree looks like a tree, otherwise it's not a tree. <laughs> a dog looks like a dog, otherwise it's not a dog. Huh? Its essence and its exteriors correspond. But not in the Eucharist, thankfully, because if I have raw flesh here, and you're coming up for communion, and I'm like, the body of Christ, and I've got this dangling flesh of raw cardiac left ventricle meat for you to chew on, I think it's going to be a little hard for you to say amen. <laughs> Not because you don't believe, but it's going to be hard. And if I give you the chalice of precious blood, and the exteriors look like blood and smell like blood, I think it's going to be a little hard for you to sip. So thank God, out of his mercy for us, he keeps the exteriors the same while changing the essence. Are you with me? So the Eucharistic miracles remind us of what the essence is. And as Eucharistic ministers, please don't say things like, boy, we sure had a lot of extra leftover wine. Don't say that. Do you believe? It's not wine anymore. That's a lot of bread. I like the bread that Father uses. Do we believe? Or are we part of the 69% of Catholics who don't believe? The Pew Research Study. 31% of us, less than a third of Catholics, believe in the real presence of Jesus. Jesus died for this. He died to give himself to us. And especially Eucharistically. Monsignor Minus that mentioned that the blood type is AB. Yes, the universal recipient. Jesus has constantly wanted to draw us into himself. We're drawn into the Eucharist, the AB blood type. Six percent of people have the AB blood type. It's a very rare blood type. I was, when I did my blood type recently, I was hoping I had AB, but I don't have A positive. But over the course of your spiritual lifetime, your blood's supposed to become AB. Your spiritual blood is supposed to become AB, the blood type of Jesus, because you're drawn into his heart, and you're going to become more and more one with his heart and with his blood type even. This is the kind of intimacy Jesus wants with us. If you want a little technical, I like technical scientific stuff. What is the AB? A person who has group AB blood is able to receive blood from a person with any other blood type. This is on the internet. Group AB blood contains red blood cells that have both antigens A and B. 
and thus does not have reactive antibodies in its plasma to these antigens, which are found in some other blood types. That's why AB. Jesus is inviting us into his blood type. We're drawn in to become a member of the body of Christ more deeply, St. Augustine. back in the 400, speaks of become what you are. When the priest gives you the body of Christ and says, the body of Christ, what he's really saying is become who you are, become your rightful member in the body of Christ. This is the central image of St. Paul, that we are all part of the body of Christ. He talks about it in terms of a whole arm or leg or foot or hand or eye, but maybe you could see it in terms of cells. You're a cell in the body of Christ. I was learning recently that our retina, probably the most complex organ of our body, has like three million cells in there, registering light and everything, huh? And transferring all that information. So you are a cell in the body of Christ, and you need to become your rightful self. You have to be drawn into Christ to become the rightful cell, the holy cell, the healthy cell that you're called to be, and to be sent out as that healthy cell through the body of Christ. That's what the word mass means, by the way. We go to mass. Mass means to be sent out. In the Latin, last words of the priest, ite misa est. Huh? Go forth, the mass is in there. Huh? Be sent. Go. You've been nourished, you've been drawn into the heart of Christ, now go out, be sent. So our heart has this, through the diastolic uh, blood pressure coming up to the veins, and then we're sent out to the systolic. Uh, that's the measure of the, of the pressure on our arteries. In one big circulatory system, that's the communion of saints. Drawn in and sent out in the communion of saints. And we need that desperately. Our world needs you to be evangelizers. You are the primary evangelizers of the church. Did I say that yet? Maybe I'll say it about six more times. The communion of saints, huh? a lovely image of the circulatory system. So we're brought into the tight squeeze of that nourishing love. I'm so glad that Monsignor Midas mentioned the word bejeebers. He, he spoke about reigning like bejeebers. But I'm going to say, when we're drawn into the heart of Christ, he squeezes the bejeebers out of me and out of you. You're drawn into the heart to experience his embrace, and he squeezes the bejeebers out of me. Father Anthony's insecurities, his, his controlling ways of dealing with others, his fear of the unknown, his whatever Father Anthony's bejeebers are today, Jesus squeezes the bejeebers out of me. And fills me with his love, with his blood, with his life. Life is in the blood. It's very understood to the Hebrew people that life is in the blood. And that's why reparation always had to involve blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. This is a constant refrain of the Old Testament. We read it in the book of Hebrews. A phrase that Archbishop Herman likes a lot is a blood transfusion. You're actually receiving a blood transfusion. Father Anthony brings his bad blood to the Lord. I'm not saying I'm a bad guy, but I'm saying I am messy and I do have sin in my life. 
and I have my ways of dealing, and so I regularly need a blood transfusion, like daily. And it would be minimal to get a weekly blood transfusion, minimal to stay alive. By the way, brothers and sisters, watching Mass online is not going to Mass. It does not fulfill your Sunday obligation. If you watch Mass online because you have to, because you're sick or you're traveling, there was nowhere else to go to Mass, you didn't have an obligation to go to Mass. There is no obligation when you're sick to go to Mass. So you're doing a devotional thing. You're watching Mass online. Good for you. You could be watching a Divine Mercy Chaplet too. I think it's fine to watch Mass online, but it does not replace the intimacy with Jesus that he wants for you. It's not even close. My friend who, uh, one of our parishes near where I live, does all the videotaping of these Masses, says 83% of the people who watch the Mass, click it off as soon as the homily's over. They have kind of a Protestant understanding that uh, I guess the homily's the high point and the rest is, I don't know, it's kind of that ritual stuff the priest keeps uh, calling down the Holy Spirit to transform bread and wine into body and blood of Christ. We have to be present at the Mass. So critical to stay alive spiritually. It's a bare minimum, third commandment. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll keep my commandments. You're not even going to think twice. I have so many people who come and say, Oh, Father, I've been missing Mass. You know, I don't always feel like it. I'm like, don't, don't you realize that even when you don't feel like it, it's going to mean all the more to Jesus that you go? It's going to mean all the more to him. I was feeling like watching the New Orleans Saints, which I often do feel like watching. And yet I went anyway, huh? It means all the more to Jesus, all the more reason to go when you don't feel like going. We're skimping on the most important things to stay alive, to be drawn into Jesus and experience his blood transfusion. The heart of Jesus is a heart on fire. Hebrews, God is a consuming fire. And we're called to be drawn into that fire of his love. And the temperature of his love is about 122 degrees. We learned that in the last talk. You remember that? No? Okay. Padre Pio. His temperature. Drawn into that fire. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, says Jesus, and I will refresh you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. His heart is meek, lowly, humble, and vulnerable. And how it hurts him when our loved ones don't do the basics of receiving him and being drawn into his heart. How he longs for his mercy to flow into us. He tells St. Faustina Kowalska, snuggle close to my merciful heart, please. My heart is burning with flames of mercy that are meant for the world, but they're all contained within my heart because nobody's receiving them and being drawn into my heart. Entering into the heart of Christ, being drawn into his heart, is a recreation. It's a getting to know Jesus. The Germans have two words to know. Wissen means like data. I know data. I know things, huh? 
but there's a kinnon is I really know you. It's an interpersonal, deep knowledge, like between a happily married couple. There's a kin in there. I even know how my spouse is probably going to think and react. I can order food for them. <laughs> I can know if we're going to say yes to this weekend opportunity or not, because I know how they think. Not in everything. I respect the mystery about them too, but yet I can anticipate where they're going to be with this. There's a kin in that we're called to with Jesus. We are not supposed to just know about Jesus and believe in Jesus from a distance. We're supposed to believe in Jesus, like in his heart. Are you with me? To be drawn into his heart. That's the place of belief, is within him. By the way, it's a great joy to be here. My cousin is Father Paul Wick. Some of you may remember. He's a cousin once removed, generation above me. But I was told this was his parish, so... He had diabetes, uh, became blind, and at his funeral, he was very close to his mother and Elsie. They used to come visit us on the farm in Oregon where I lived. And so at his funeral, his mom died too. Isn't that amazing? God rest his soul. Good holy man, beautiful voice. Father Paul, pray for us. Mm. The Catechism puts it this way, if we come to know Jesus in this kind of deep reciprocal exchange, we know Christ in a beautiful and simple way. And only the heart of Christ, who knows the depths of the Father's love, could reveal to us the abyss of his mercy in so simple and beautiful a way. So the church's great tradition, liturgical tradition, teaches us that fruitful participation in the liturgy requires that we be transformed into the mystery being celebrated. You don't participate from the views. You're transformed into the mystery being celebrated. Christ is offering his very life for the sake of the world, and you are to offer your lives with Christ for the sake of the world. The greatest thing you can do for someone is have a mass offered. Why? Because you're offering Christ to the Father. The one true worthy gift of the Father is his Son. And you are, in our, are given this incredible gift to offer Christ himself, the Son of God, to the Father as gift and attach an intention to it. And we offer ourselves, we learn to offer ourselves with Christ to the Father and also our sufferings and our sacrifices with Christ to the Father. The key for the priest is to pray the Mass. We learn from Vatican II that our way of celebrating the Mass encourages an active participation from the faithful, a prayerful participation. You enter more deeply into the mystery being celebrated. Christ gives himself completely. You'll be given the strength drawn into his heart to also give yourselves completely. Tap into the best version of yourselves, which is a loving self. You're all made to give of yourselves completely, with nothing left to give, like Jesus on the cross. Nothing left to give. He gave everything. One's life becomes progressively transformed by this mystery, by the mystery being celebrated. I become a new creation. Drawn into the Eucharist, recreated in Christ. I am recreated. I don't sustain myself in my existence. 
I'm constantly being kept alive, Aquinas again. God is in all things by his essence, power, and presence as the cause existing in the effects which participate in his goodness. In other words, things would dissipate, the law of entropy would take over if God didn't keep recreating me. And my soul he needs to keep recreating in the Eucharist. And that's why it's a bare minimum to go to Mass once a week and to be drawn into the heart of Jesus, yet again to be recreated. Because I get messy. Because I have sinful tendencies that start to take over. And I need to have those bejeebers again squeezed out of me. I need to explore the chambers of his heart. When you receive communion, I suggest after receiving, go back to your pew and start letting go and allow yourself to explore the chambers of Jesus' heart. You're like a cell being drawn into those chambers, receiving his lifeblood, his nourishment, his strength. It's incredibly intimate. Incredibly intimate to be drawn into the heart of somebody. And that's what God wants. He's that ridiculously vulnerable for you and me. Our God's an amazing God. <laughs> if I were God, I wouldn't be that vulnerable. I would say, you humans, you kind of stink a little bit, you know? I'd like a little more distance between you, and occasionally I'll have some extra mercy for you, but I kind of need to work with you at a distance. But not our God. He's like, come on in, you know? Put your hand on in here, you know? Come on in. The water's fine. Hmm? Our God is incredibly intimate. Adoration. Adoration is key to receiving the Eucharist. Adoration. In between Mass times. After the Council, there was a lot of silly talk that was bantered about that the Eucharistic bread was meant to be eaten, not to be looked at. But in light of the Church's experience of prayer, this was seen to be a false dichotomy, says Pope Benedict. And he quotes St. Augustine, who says, No one eats that flesh without first adoring it. We should sin were we not to adore it. If we receive communion casually, we're sinning. And hence, our bishops ask us wisely to make a profound act of adoration before you receive a profound bow. Be overwhelmed at what you're receiving. Receiving the Eucharist means adoring him whom we receive. Only in this way do we become one with him. The act of adoration outside of Mass prolongs and intensifies all that takes place during the liturgical celebration itself. If you want to get into the Mass more, you need to go to adoration. It prolongs and intensifies what takes place in the liturgical celebration. Pope Benedict, Sacramentum Caritatis. Again, only in adoration can a profound and genuine reception of Holy Communion occur. And it is precisely this personal encounter with the Lord that strengthens the social mission contained in the Eucharist. So to get myself ready to stretch my heart 
big enough to enter into Jesus' heart. I need adoration. My dad, before he died two years ago, we would be working and we'd be driving through town. We had to pick up some part for the broken down, we had all this old equipment. And uh, he'd say, let's go make a visit. So we'd pop into the church and make a brief visit. I mean, a few minutes. It doesn't, it doesn't mean like it's a long time, but it's quality time. Maybe that's God's language. What do you think? Quality time. I think it is. Adoration prolongs and intensifies our reception of Holy Communion. Receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ, we become sharers in the divine life in an adult and conscious way. Again, Augustine. Augustine imagines, St. Augustine imagines the Lord saying to him, quote, I am the food of grown men. Grow and you shall feed upon me. Nor shall you change me like the food of your flesh into yourself, but you shall be changed into me. It is not the Eucharistic food that is changed into us, my brothers and sisters. It is we who are changed into it. He draws us into himself. And thus the Eucharist is the source and the summit of the church's life. To be drawn into that ridiculous amount of intimacy with God Almighty. Into his very heart. How does that change us? Well, when I'm drawn into his heart, so Jesus offers himself as gift, now I'm drawn into that gift, I can now make a gift of myself. And those words of St. Paul in Romans begin to speak to me. I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers, by the mercies of God, to present, yourself, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. My body now becomes sacrificial. I say to retreatants, you can, the measure of a man is his ability to sacrifice himself. It's similar for women. It's a different kind of sacrifice, but it's also a sacrifice of surrender. A self-offering. St. Augustine of Hippo goes on to say, this is the sacrifice of Christians, that we, though many, are one in Christ. The church celebrate this, celebrates this mystery in the sacrament of the altar, and there she shows the faithful clearly that in what is offered, she herself is offered. Irenaeus, one of the giants of the early centuries of the church, says the glory of God, this is the, what, what pleases God's heart, the glory of God is the living man, the man fully alive. We're not fully alive unless we enter into the Eucharist. Insofar, well, I'm a priest, so I offer daily Mass, but if I weren't and I pick and choose Mass when I go, I'm not fully alive. You're alive in proportion to your active entering into the Eucharist. The glory of God is the man fully alive. That's a good quote for you to remember. Most people forget the second half, though, which is the life of man is the vision of God. The glory of God is man fully alive, and the life of man is the vision, the contemplative vision of God, entering into God. That's my life.
I'll finish with a couple quotes. Each time we celebrate Mass, we enter into the same sacrifice of Jesus on the cross on Calvary. Calvary is the one event that is, extends throughout history. And no matter where you slice that log, you see the same number of rings. It's always being brought to Calvary to receive the fruit of that sacrifice of Jesus so that I can live in that sacrifice. G.K. Chesterton says, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. Fall in love with Jesus. Allow yourself to fall in love with Jesus. Allow yourself to be so in love with him that you can't wait to be drawn into his heart again. Did I say that too quickly? Allow yourself to fall in love with Jesus so much that you can't wait to be drawn into his heart again. Invest. When we go to Mass, in proportion to our investment and to be, allow ourselves to be drawn in, we will find much fruit. When a person says, I find the Mass boring, or I didn't get anything out of it, it's like, what investment did you make? In financial terms, ROI means return on investment. Like, I get absolutely nothing from the stock market because I don't invest a dime. <laughs> so if I come to Mass without investment and I want to be entertained by the priest in his homily, and I'm taking it like media, like the way I consume media, eh, I don't really like that church, I don't really like the looks of the church, I don't like this or that, or the music didn't please me or whatnot. Like, what investment did you have there? We're called to invest ourselves, huh? To be very prayerful, no matter who the priest, no matter who the priest, no matter what the music, Jesus wants you into his heart. Allow yourselves to be drawn in. That is a great gift you're giving Jesus, letting yourself be drawn in, to choose to let myself be drawn into his heart. After communion, to, ex to, to explore those chambers of his heart, to let the bejeebers be squeezed out of me, to let the divine love be squeezed into me, and to go out with divine love. My brothers and sisters, our world is incredibly thirsty for divine love your spouse, your children, your loved ones, your friends. They need divine love, not just human love. They need divine love. Nothing short of it. And you have to be the conduits of divine love, which means you need to be drawn in. Let yourself be drawn into the Eucharist more profoundly than ever before. And let the glory of God radiate in your souls, fully alive, leading others into the vision of God. Amen.